0: Okay, we are going to spend some time talking about the concept of giftedness. Uh, but first, I'd like to start off with a prayer. Our Father, our God, I thank you for the time we have these days to be with good Christian people and to think about your things and to share ideas that we've gleaned across the years. and I pray that the things we talk about will be glorifying to you and build up your body. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 So, there's handouts in the back if you want to grab the yellow paper. You can grab a little card, too, if you want to know something about the book. I don't want to push the book too much, but I want you to know it's out there. And it has some in the bookstore. Church Inside Out is the book. Um... Some of this material's from there. Some isn't. Some I wish I had known when I was writing the book and it would be in there. But um, one of the things, um, it's amazing. I want to see if you can kind of relate to this. It's amazing how many things are out there that talk about discovering your gifts and finding your gifts. And and, um, we've got books and seminars and, there's all sorts of questionnaires you can do. And it makes it seem like there are these hidden spiritual gifts that it's our task to go out and find. And I don't see that concept in the Bible. And in fact, I was thinking that you know some of these tests remind me of some of those tests like on Facebook. You know, what flavor of ice cream are you? You know, and you answer these questions, and hi, you're pistachio. You know, and it's like, okay. Uh, most of these little inventories, they're really not scientific instruments. They're, they're just somebody's ideas of how to steer you. I will say, I finally got to use the comic papyrus font. So, any of you that work with typefaces, that's one of my favorite jokes out there. So. Uh-huh. You might get the joke. If you don't, don't worry about it. And I finally got to use that. It's 315. It's 315. <laughs> I'm wrong I what is but it called? A comic what? <laughs> comic Papyrus. It was done as an April Fool's joke. So okay. You kind of have to be into typefaces. <laughs> All right. But, you know, there's sort of this idea that we're waiting for that moment when we get transformed into the spiritual superhero right? And it's like, wow, this is my gift. This is what I'm supposed to do. You know, I've been waiting all this time. And so, you know, you've got the innate abilities of things you were born with, and and you've got this spiritual thing that came to you. And you've got a talent, but you've got a gift. And a gift just seems more holy, more special, more intimidating, you know, and you've got that one from birth, but this one's from the new birth. Mm -hmm. Now, I do believe in there being a difference between what the New Testament calls our flesh and our spirit. I mean, I do believe that there, there is a transformation that happens, uh, you came in just in time for the minion slide, so that, that's good timing, okay? Um, I do believe there's this transformation that, that we undergo. But I also believe that I was made a certain way, and I don't think it was an accident. I have heard Christians use the term accident of birth, and I really don't feel that's how I came about You know, I I believe that the things that I have are are things that God put in me. But by creating this need to discover the gift, I think sometimes we create some anguish for people and uncertainty. It's like, have I really figured out what it is that God wants me to be doing? Have I really figured out, have I found this, this special ability. And and so I kind of want to move us away from that a little bit. I think you can tell by the way I'm speaking. Uh, Matt Carter is uh, Director of Missions at the Harding School of Theology. He does a one-body workshop, and he shared some things from his dissertation. I couldn't find the link to his dissertation. I had it before. If you really search online, you can find it. If you're into reading dissertations, uh, you'd probably enjoy more hearing his workshop sometime. But he tuned me into some of these ideas, so I wanted to give him credit. I, I told him I would give him his own slide and everything. Um, on the back of your handouts, you have the the address for his website. It's up there too: onebodyworkshop.com. But here's some of the thoughts. First off, don't confuse gifts with gifted and talented. You know, that's one of the problems I think we have in English is we have gift and then we have gifted and we kind of conflate the two. Often when we say he is a gifted speaker, we mean he's a talented speaker, right? We don't necessarily mean that it's a spiritual gift or we say that, She is a gifted teacher. Well, is that something that came upon her after her baptism? Or is it something she had before? And and I think about, for example, Apollos in the book of Acts. Says was a very eloquent speaker, very powerful preacher. Yet he was teaching the baptism of John, and I'm guessing, and this is guesswork, speculation, Based on the next chapter, I'm guessing he didn't have the Holy Spirit yet because we see other people that were only teaching uh, the baptism of John and they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. So I don't think he was gifted with the Spirit at that point. I'm guessing that after his conversion, he continued being a gifted speaker, a talented speaker, right? I don't think that suddenly... He changed when he was baptized. I've never seen someone who couldn't sing come out of the water as a a worship leader. I haven't seen it happen. And I don't think that's what we're to be looking for. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I think we see where maybe some of this comes from. The first few words say, now about spiritual gifts. If you have a Bible that puts some words in italics, the word gifts there is in italics. You know what that means when they put a word in italics? Mm -hmm. It's not in the original. All right? It's not that they're trying to change a meaning. They're trying to clarify. But I think here they didn't help us, because what Paul is saying now about spirituals, the spirituals, and he's going to go on and talk about some people who are focused on speaking in tongues and prophesying, and, and I think it's either those people or those activities, but to add the word gifts there, I think creates some confusion. Now, if you look down a little bit in this chapter, for example, um, verses 4, 5, and 6 are very similar. Now in the, the NIV it says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And there are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them and all men. I think those three verses are saying the same thing in different words. So he says, gifts, working, and service. I think my understanding is what we need to see is that what our gift from God is is a way to use the talents that He has given us. For example, Paul in Romans 15 talks about the grace that he's received from god but he says the grace i received to teach to preach to the gentiles this grace this gift from god was a ministry okay um in greek and the old line i know a little greek he has a deli downtown okay that's you know I don't know a lot about the original languages. That, that is not my strong point. But you have the word grace, charis, and then the word that's usually gifts is charismata. Those who know say that the one doesn't come from the other, and I'll believe them on that. But I think at times Paul uses the words because they sound similar. He uses them to say a similar thing. So sometimes he talks about the grace given to us, and he's talking about what we think of as a gift. All right? So you think about it. God is giving us a way to serve. Look at this passage in in 1 Peter 4. Verses 10 and 11 says, Each one should use whatever gift, this is Charismata, he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Notice how he's used the two words there. Then listen to what he describes. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves... He should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. These are ways of using our talents, ways of using the innate abilities we have, the experiences we have, the things we've learned to use in God's service. So I think that when we read Charismatic, we really ought to be reading ministry or gifted service okay now that's not a huge point if you still want to think of them as you know some ability that that the spirit gives us i'm not going to argue with you but it, it's helpful to me because I read things like this. I read Romans 12, for example, where it talks about administering and showing mercy and, and um, benevolence as spiritual gifts. And that makes more sense when I think of them as activities and ways of serving. Okay? Now, another neat thing, uh, on the front of your... Your sheet, you have this passage in Ephesians four. And I like what he says. I don't have any sheets here, so I gotta turn over. What is this? No, that's all right. I can get there. You know, he says, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ appointed it. And again, I think it helps to understand that he's using grace much like a gift, what we think of as gift, okay? It's something given. Then he has a little excursus in verses 8 through 10. Let's go down to 11. He says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. Here the gift People, that God has gifted to the church, given to the church leaders, people who can prepare the rest of the church for works of service, which I would argue is what charismata means, okay? But I like that thought that God gives people to his church, and we're going to get to that in a minute <clears throat> as it relates to us, but that's an important point. And one more consideration. It's God that arranges the parts of the body as he wants. We won't read 1 Corinthians 12, but there's a long description of the body, talking about our physical body, talking about how God has put our body together. And in there it says that God arranges each part as he desires. And I think that's talking about the church as well. I think about what we used to do when we would do the pyramids. I don't do these anymore, okay? So I put this in the past tense. But we would get people together, and we would kind of look at who we had. The big guys went on the bottom, right? And then you kind of went down from there, and you get your lightest person to be the person up on the top. And someone who was fairly nimble and who could climb. And you really wouldn't do well if you switch those positions. Right? If you put the smallest person on the bottom and the biggest people on the top, you're going to have problems. Right? And I could see how maybe the big person says, how come I always have to be on the bottom? Right? Although, they always seem kind of proud that, hey, I can be one of these tough guys down on the bottom. They always seem to like it. You know, and then once a while you get a girl down on the bottom, you go, oh, wow. You know, that was, that was always pretty impressive. You know, the the ones that could climb up to the top, they like that too. You know, I guess the the ones in the middle don't get much glory, but they're a part of things, right? And so you look at this, you think about, you know, our gifts that we have as a ministry, and God gives people to His church, and He puts us where He wants us. And that leads me to this You are God's gift to the church. If you don't take anything else away from this, take that away and share that with people. Because I think people need to realize that where you are is where God wants you to be. And the talents you bring are something God thinks His church in your place needs. And so for whatever reason... God thought the University Church of Christ in Abilene, Texas, needed me, okay? And felt like my ability and my history, my experience, my learning, and all that has brought me to here would be useful to his church, would build up his church. But to think of that idea and and to help each member of the church understand you're a gift because sometimes i think we look at the preacher and go oh you know god gave us the preacher and and you know we've got worship leaders yeah you know and we get the people that are up front and those are the ones that go wow boy they are gifted and rarely do you talk about our gifted bookkeeper you know but you need a bookkeeper And if you have a gifted maintenance man in your church or maintenance woman in your church, you've got a great thing. And and I believe that one problem we've had is we've sort of communicated that if you aren't one of the people who gets up front, you're not really gifted, and you're not all that important. And I think we need to see that everyone's gifted with a ministry, gifted with the way to serve, and that it was God that decided to put us where we are and to use us for being used. So give me a moment of feedback. Does that sound like something biblical? And does it sound like something helpful?
1: It
2: makes you realize that everyone's important
0: not just the ones up front. Makes you realize everyone's important. Mm-hmm. So how do you distinguish between someone who God placed up front and someone who needs to be up front mm-hmm. or yeah. isn't? that? That's a good mentor. How, how do you distinguish, he asked, yes, in case you couldn't hear it, between... The person who is up front and the person who should be up front and isn't. And also, the person who wants to be up front but probably shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Or the person who's up front and shouldn't be up front. Yeah, exactly. We've got all of that. And let me give the famous answer that I'll get to some of that in a minute. (laughs) But... I think that is a big part of what leadership is supposed to be doing. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You know, this Ephesians 4 passage is my favorite passage about leadership and ministry. And I go back to that one a lot. Um, And we're actually going to bring out some more from this passage here in a minute. But I think that the idea that God puts leaders in the church to prepare the body for works of service. And so one of the things that should be coming out of leadership is that the rest of the body is finding its place to serve. Um, But yeah, it's not a cut and dried thing, and you know that. Um, And it's one of the great challenges in the church, I think, is to help everyone find a place and a place that a place of fulfillment for them and a place of edification for the body well let's go on a bit so how do i go about recognizing my ministry i almost felt hypocritical because there, at the beginning, I was kind of criticizing this thing about discovering your gift and finding your gift, and now I want to talk about how to discover your gift. Uh, but, uh, so I did change it to recognize so I could hide it a little bit, but now I've confessed my,
1: my sin.
0: Um, the difference, I think, is what I'm talking about is how to find what I already know that I have. Okay, I, I'm, I'm guessing that most of us have come to have a sense of what talents we have. And what we're looking to find is how to use those talents. I think we start with prayer. And, and that should be our default answer to any how-to question in the church. I think prayer has to be at the base. And I have been blessed to work with some Christians in Cuba that have taught me about prayer. Uh, I thought I knew about prayer, but I didn't know about prayer and what it is to depend on prayer. Um, Slightly off topic, but uh, Tony Fernandez is a preacher. You've met Tony, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, Katrina's met him. Maybe some of you met him. He was out here a couple times. Tony a couple years ago wrote to me about an experience he had that he got to go to a town where he'd always wanted to plant a church. And so he went to that town, and he wrote me, and he said, after a time of fervent missionary prayer, I had to get out and talk to someone. And I told my wife, I said, I'm 57. I don't know if I've ever had a time of fervent missionary prayer. And the first person he talked with wanted to study the Bible and wanted enough that I actually happened to be in country the next week, and that person texted Tony and said, when are you coming to study with me? You know, but that's the power of prayer and the power of someone who believes in prayer, which I think is the other part. So coming back to this, praying about your ministry isn't just a technicality. I think it's essential. Then we consider our talents. Try to honestly look at what we're good at. We um, at our church put together a playground last year and was a pretty big project. Basically we saved a bunch of money by doing the installation ourselves. Put in this big playground. Uh, for the community, for our church, for, you know, all these things. There were days when the people who went to work needed to know something about how to use tools. Those were not my days to serve, okay? I'm not good with tools. I'll grab a screwdriver and and put a nail in the wall, you know? I mean, it's just that sort of thing. But then there was a day that we were just spreading mulch. That was my day to go help, Okay, I I knew that my talents included being able to spread mulch around this equipment they put together. But my talent wasn't going to be putting that equipment together. Again, we need to value those who do have those talents as much as someone who gets to come to Pepperdine and stand up and teach a class, you know? We need to find a way to help them to know that that is not a second-class job. All right, so you consider your talents. You begin trying new ways of serving. And I'll mention this a couple of times, but I think the willingness to fail is one of the key things that, that we need. Because sometimes we're afraid to try things because we're afraid we're going to fail. Amen. And because of that, we don't do new things, you know? And so we need to be willing to, if someone says, you know, I think I, I might, you know, be good at leading singing. Okay, we'll let you try. and It doesn't go well. Okay, but nobody died. I mean, it, it's not that big a deal. You know, that person is not a failure for life, but they're not a song leader. But you let them try. I thought I wanted to go into youth ministry. Then I went and started teaching some teenage classes and discovered I was awful at it. You know, I just did not connect with teenagers. Okay. Doesn't mean I'm a failure in life. Means I'm not a youth minister. Mm -hmm. You know? So you just have to be willing to try new ways of serving. What you're looking for is a combination of these three things. Positive results, personal satisfaction, and affirmation from others. It should go well. Maybe not perfectly the first time. Maybe it'll take you a little while, but it ought to go well eventually. You should feel good doing it. It shouldn't be this huge chore every time you do it. And others should say, you know what? That was a blessing to me. You did that well. Thank you. Now, we need to build a culture where we say those things to one another as well. Okay? But those are the things that... that Give you the confirmation, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing what God wants. Now, something I'll steal from Matt Carter, in case he listens to this, um, is the idea of even before trying new things, as you're considering your talents, talk to other people. and Say, what do you think I'm good at? What do you see in me? Because sometimes we don't see things in ourselves. So that's a good, I should probably add that one in. Uh, Matt and I got to present on the same weekend last month, so I got to hear some of this stuff. So like I said, we consider our gifts, and then we analyze the needs around us. And where giftedness meets need, that's your calling. Okay, now it sounds... Like, you know, I put it as a nice simple formula in the title of the class. You know, it's not that simple. But that should be the idea. So God has given me a way to serve. God has given me certain abilities that can be used for edifying his church. Now I'm looking for needs. All right? Now I'm looking for a way to put this into practice. And I'm gonna take this to the congregational level here in a minute. But I think this is part of what we need to be doing. We need to constantly be looking at our congregations, seeing what the talents are there, and we need to constantly be looking at our community and see what the needs are. Because sometimes we have this ministry that is near and dear to our hearts and we're trying to find somebody that'll take it on When really it's time to say, you know what, that served its purpose. It glorified God, and it's time to move on. And that's hard. You know, it's hard to let a ministry go dormant. I won't say die, Mm -hmm. but just say for a time we're not going to do this, and it's okay. God will raise up someone else to do this if it's to be done. And if he hasn't provided us with anyone to do it, then we're not going to do it for now. Okay. So this isn't the most profound. But any reactions to that? How do we, how do we apply that, especially with the people around us? Some, sometimes I think, I don't know. Just think about ourselves. Focus uh, limits our focus. In our churches, how do we help people? Take their talents and apply them to needs. Just by trial and error, sometimes you tell someone to do something; they may not like it. That's just for me, as it's in a small church. Okay, trial. trial and error can be a way of, yeah. of With, finding out without doing a spiritual gift inventory. I guess <laughs> I've never done one. Yeah, so, you know, you might think about a spiritual gift inventory
2: thing we do is if we have meetings every week that are but we talk about hey you know who would be good at this i think so and so would be good at this who wants to approach we just approach him and talk to him about it and ask him and sometimes yeah we just if if somebody's more comfortable talking to that person then we you know we kind of are always trying to find somebody but if we think they're good for that particular.
0: So sort of brainstorming as far as people and then approaching them to see if they're... Yeah, or
2: just if somebody says, hey, we need somebody somebody to be over this ministry because this person needs a break. Who do you think might be good? Yeah, so it's not like we sit down and try to plug everybody in at one time. It's just as the needs arise,
0: I guess. Okay, so as needs arise, arise... As needs arise, <laughs> I don't know how that sounds hard. Um, we start identifying people. Yes. Okay. Trying to repeat for the recording. It may be picking up every word you're saying, but I want to make oh. sure we get this.
2: So. Let <laughs> we also email out if there is a need that we know that something, even within the congregation or outside, then we email out to the members and say, this is a need.
0: Can you help?" Me? Okay, so making the congregation aware of needs, specifically through email in your case, but um, different ways, and I—that's one of the things that I have come to believe the leaders should be doing—is <laughs> making the congregation aware of needs without a guilt factor behind it. Um, I'm gonna get ahead of myself. That's yeah, all right. I, I think we need why to. Do accept- you do that? I need to accept, or we need to accept that the church can't meet every need. And so sometimes we're going to identify a need and then say, but well, we can't do anything about it right now. I think that sometimes we go back to what you said uh, earlier, that a lot of times we know we know where the, uh, the member can do something that he's not doing, and maybe that will be a challenge for him to do it. Like, like my brother was talking about yesterday, uh, Paul and Peter, I mean uh, Timothy, Timothy, Paul put Timothy there because he knew he could do
1: the job, you know, and maybe sometimes we know better. Hmm. And, mm-hmm.
0: now, and that's an interesting thought, that at times someone else is better at identifying what, what they should be doing and, and using the example of Paul and Timothy, you know, or I think of Paul and Titus, where Paul says to Titus, this is why I left you on Crete, <laughs> you know, you're doing other things, but this is what I left you to do. You know, and
1: convincing people that they could do it. You know, I mean, Moses didn't want to do it. <laughs> mm.
0: Yeah. Sometimes it takes some convincing. Uh, we we see Moses, we see Jeremiah, we see a number of people in in the Bible who so resist the call at first. So that's that's a good point. Yeah. And, and I think. My personal opinion is is giving people the license to fail helps. Okay. You know, I want you to try this, and if it doesn't go well, OK. you know? I, I think sometimes people are afraid, "Oh, I don't know if I can do that." Well, no, you don't know. <laughs> so let's find out. And if we find out you can't, OK. right? All right. Um, some thoughts on how we match gifts to needs? Leaders should expect to be positive and affirming the face of ministry proposals. I believe that we need to encourage our people to be creative, encourage our people to be thinking of new ways to serve and not just waiting for us to tell them, here are, you know, at University Church of Christ, we have these ministries, which one do you fit into? Instead, you know, when someone has a new idea as far as we can, we want to say yes. I mean, if it, if it takes $100,000, we may have to say, sorry, we don't have the funds for that. But let me give an example. I was in a meeting, and it, it was a group of men, and the minister was wanting to encourage the men to learn how to teach Bible class. And we were talking about that. And and while we were and, and there were some of the men who don't normally come to these meetings there. Okay? So that was exciting in and of itself. All right. And and one of them said, you know, I've been thinking I'm a roofer and I would love to go to somebody's house that needs it and let them buy the supplies, but I'll, I'll donate my labor. And this brother over here, he does landscaping and he could come do their yard while I'm doing the roof and we could get a whole team of people. And another guy said, well, you know, I'm a soccer coach and I, I'm certified to, to work with young people and I would love to be able to connect that with the church and maybe have soccer tournaments for the kids And bring them in and talk to them about Jesus and the minister cut them off and said, but first you need to learn how to teach a Bible class. I thought, no, no, wait, these guys are all excited and they're dreaming and they've got ideas and they're not expensive ideas either, you know, and that's the time to say, wonderful, let's see how we can do this and try it and maybe it'll be a total failure. And that's okay, you know. But I think we need to expect to be positive and affirming. That the default answer is yes. Paul. Yeah. What the What the preacher's trying to do is put the man in a position where it causes frustration to the man in the classroom, because that's not his deal, and yeah. because of that, causes frustration to others, you know, which are the members. You know. That's right that's right I, I think forcing people into a ministry doesn't fit them only creates frustration for everybody we have traditionally had leadership training classes that taught people how to stand up front of the congregation how to lead singing how to lead prayers how to preach you know leadership training we teach them how to wash feet you know I mean We're talking about a certain type of ministry, but there's a lot of types of ministry. All right. Uh, Second, priority is on outside-the-wall ministries, things that connect us to our community, things that touch people outside our church. I think we need to get out of this mentality that the most important thing is making sure that Sunday morning goes well. And, And... That's why our leadership training classes have focused on the things for Sunday morning worship. But I think we need to emphasize to people, we want you working outside. We want you doing things out in the community. And what we do here on Sunday is to encourage one another and and to worship together, but our Christian life is done out there. Mm When someone describes something that isn't right, it's taken as an offer to help. Okay, this is a personal um, personal thing of mine. But I've I come to believe that a lot of times God speaks to us through irritation. And so when somebody comes and says, hey, you know, I, the building's just not as clean as it could be, I say, you know, brother, I'm glad somebody has a heart for that. Uh-huh. You know, here is where we keep our mops. Here's where we keep our vacuum cleaner and and God has put this on your heart.
1: <laughs> it
0: cuts down on complaining too. Do you
1: really
2: say that um, want to say it.
0: depends on the person. <laughs> oh, okay. Depends on the person. I try to say it in a nice way. Yeah. Well, um I've never done about the cleaning actually oh, okay. to be honest. I had done it to the guy that came to me about, you know, we need more classes for our kids. It's like Great, right? <laughs> you know. Sounds like God's calling you to something, yeah. okay. you know. Um, I have tried to apply it in my own life, not always that well, but I, a specific uh, example. And Katrina was in our college group, so she knows about this. Our church is right across the street from Abilene Christian University, and. Our college class meets in the furthest room from the campus. We're hoping to change that, but right now that's how it is. The door nearest the campus, when you walk in, there's this neat acrylic map on the wall of what the church looked like about 20 years ago. We've done all sorts of building and remodeling since then, and so the classroom where the campus group meets isn't even on that acrylic map. The building... Where the classroom is is not on that map. Okay, so every year at the beginning of the school year, I would get so frustrated, and you know, I would think, "How can we not have good signage for the college kids? How can we not have, you know, a better map for them?" And then, of course, I started working on this material, and teaching this material, and you start listening to what you're saying to other people, and I thought, "Hello." God calls us through irritation, and I discovered that one of my ministries was the first few Sundays of the semester, be aware of that door, and watch when people come in and help them get to class, you know, instead of just fussing about
1: it. <laughs>
0: that really what God was saying, Tim, hello, take care of this. It's not that hard. And instead of just saying, well, it's not that hard, why don't they do something about it? No, God's saying, Here's an opportunity, you know? Members need to be aware of needs in order to meet those needs. And so, again, I think part of what leadership needs to be doing is making people aware of needs. And I think it's healthy to present more needs than we can meet. Because, again, if we only limit ourselves to what we can do, Number one, we're not taking God into account. And number two, we're not giving people options.
2: And we're not getting out of our comfort zone.
0: We're, not, we're <laughs> not getting out of our comfort zone. Well said. you know. And so I think we need to say, here's all these possible things we could be doing. Here are things that, in our case, here are things that Abilene needs. It's much bigger than what we can do. You know, was listening to Steve Clover this morning talking about, you know, within a three-mile radius of their church, there's 200,000 people. It's like we can't take care of 200,000 people, but we can meet certain needs. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to, to be presenting needs and not with that, well, somebody has to take care of this now. You know what? Maybe that's one of the things we can't take care of. You know, now there—that's not the same because there are some things that need to be done that aren't fun, and nobody really wants to do. Okay, so yeah, there's some things that we just have to take care of just because. I understand that, and there's some ministries you can't say, "Well, nobody offered to do it, so we're not going to do it." I mean, some things have to be done, all right. But I'm talking about optional things, discretional things, I guess that's a better word, you know? Maybe you don't have anyone for the nursing home ministry, but maybe nobody ever thought of that. And if you help them to see, you know what, if you just show up there, you don't have to be skilled at anything except talking to people and smiling at them. And somebody says, you know, I can talk and smile. (laughs) You know? And they never thought of it. And so you present that. Maybe nobody steps up. Okay, you present it again in a few months. Maybe they do. All right. Well, this goes with that. The church will not and cannot meet every need. That also needs to be said. Because um, if you're really looking at your community, you're going to see more needs than what your individual congregation can meet. And some of it will be leaning into your strong, your strengths and say, you know, we can't do everything, but we can do this. You know? Um, we had some people that were doing an after-school reading program at our church, and it was a really great thing, and they were working with, there's an elementary school just a few blocks from our church building, and it, it was a great program. They got too old, Nobody else felt called to it. I think it's okay to say, you know what? Maybe later on, somebody else will take this up right now. This is a need that we're just not gonna be able to meet.
1: Yes? Uh, One of my friends I was catching up with, he was telling me about their Celebrate Recovery program, which it may be Saturday night or something. I don't remember, but their church building wasn't big enough for how big it kept going. And so it turned into not a need that they could no longer meet, but a need that they had to partner with other churches in Mm. their smaller town. And so uh, you talk about church unity movements, they kind of had to have church unity with the Pentecostals because they had no other choice to meet that need.
0: That's neat. That's neat. Telling a story about a Celebrate Recovery program that they needed to partner with other churches because it got too big for their congregation. that's a great thing. Um, and I, I think we need to be open to that, to even partnering with non church organizations on some of these things. All right. Um, ministries have to be given the freedom to die. I've said that already. I told you I was getting ahead of myself. I thought well, it said, I was reading ministers. Ministers. <laughs> well, yeah. Ministers also have the freedom I'm to, to die. They're really not <laughs> ministries,
1: you okay. know. Um, Minist-
0: Some of you remember the old Joy Bus Ministries, and and they did some good things in their time. But most congregations decided this ministry has served its purpose and we're moving on. That's good. That's not bad. That's a healthy organization. Organism, excuse me. Uh, I think about my body. There are things I did when I was 20 that I can't do now. But I'm able to do things just because of my experience and growth that I couldn't do when I was 20. And you can either lament the things you can't do that you could do before, or you can be thrilled with the things you can do now. Yeah. So, looking at this last part, that last verse in Ephesians 4, I really love. It talks about how the body grows. Let me read it. Uh, From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And from what I can tell from the different translations, the emphasis really on the idea of each part doing its work. You know, because when you have the hand trying to do the foot's work, it doesn't go well. And the body's healthiest when the foot's doing footwork and the hand's doing handwork. And and so I think, you know, different members have different ministries. We've got to emphasize that. We've got to help them see that not everybody's going to be a song leader. And like I say, I think our overemphasis on those roles has really hurt our body. has really hurt our churches. And when people feel excited about being able to serve in other ways, I think that's wonderful. I was hearing the other day about this group from um, El Salvador that started a ministry called Project Nehemiah. They're builders, and they'll take a weekend, and they'll go to a nearby congregation, and they'll work on their church building and fix it up for them. I think that's wonderful, you know? And I think that's an amazing ministry, and I love that idea of them saying, you know what, we're not preachers, but we are good with our hands, and here's a way we can serve. All right. We don't choose our ministries. They're given to us as Jesus and the Spirit see fit. I know I should have got God in there, too, to get the the, my Trinity. But uh, God puts us where he wants us in the body. God puts each member into a place. And and so we've got to be willing to let people find their place, and we've got to be willing to, to work in our place, not wanting to be something else. I find that at times. I get jealous of what other people can do. And, and I'm not realizing that they, in turn, are jealous of what I can do. You know, um, I see somebody that can make things with their hands, and I'm so jealous. And they, they look at me, do things on the computer, and they get jealous. <laughs> you know? and, and instead of each one just saying, you know what? This is how I serve. Uh, our talents and ministries are not just for individual edification, but for building up the entire body. What we do should build up the church and not just make people look at it because, wow, look how smart Tim is. You know, that, that's not helping the body. But if they hear me say something, say, well, that's useful, and I can help somebody with that idea, that's what it's supposed to be. You know? And as somebody who writes and teaches, I have to keep trying to remind myself all the time, you know, because I want people going, "Oh, look, wow, how impressive Tim is!" But that's not the point. But how exciting it is! I remember in Cuba, and and they're so anxious to learn there. But I had some people come up and say, you know, you did a series at the youth conference five years ago on the Lord's Supper. And once you know it's transformed the way we take the Lord's Supper? That's what matters. You know? It's not that they go, wow, it's such a wonderful talk. Okay, when I say it made a difference in what we're doing, that's great. Alright, the body needs all the gifts that Jesus provides. So when someone isn't being given the opportunity to serve the body's not going to be what it should be and if someone isn't working the body's not going to be what it should be the body can only grow when each part is doing its work and there's a part of me that cringes every time i say only uh, how about the body grows best when each part does its own work, right? I think God can produce growth wherever he wants. But the the healthy body has each part doing what it's supposed to be doing. So those are my wonderful, impressive thoughts for you to see how wonderful Tim is. Now, um, let me close this with a prayer. Father, we glorify you, for you are a wise, wise God. And we know that our intelligence is laughable compared to you. And so we praise you for your wisdom in designing a church as a body where each member has a role. And help us, Father, to to grow in that to emphasize that in our churches and in our own lives, that we learn to be members of your body. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, you, everyone.